Welcome, welcome everybody to a brand new episode of Identity Talk for Educators Live, the show for the unsung heroes of education. I'm your host, Kwame Safamensa, tuning in from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And for today's episode, we are going international. So if this is your first time tuning in to the podcast, we welcome you and we hope that you come back for future episodes. If this is not your first time and you're a returning viewer or listener, we welcome you back and we hope that today's episode is informative and insightful for you. But before we get to the main event, we want to do a quick announcement or two. Uh, first things first, we have our Identity Talk Apparel Shop, and we've been dropping new designs and new apparel for our librarians, our principals, now our counselors. So we're just trying to touch all the different professionals in the education spectrum. So to check out some of the new designs, make sure you go to the Teesprings store at teesprings.com backslash stores backslash the Identity Talk Apparel Shop. So make sure you check us out there. And then also, if you are a teacher who is looking for some professional development credits to add to your license, we have our virtual Shape of the Teacher Identity 101 program, which consists of a variety of modules, modules focusing on culturally responsive anti-racist practices, classroom management, family and parent engagement, among many others. So if you are interested in learning more about the program, feel free to book a call with us today at Conley.com backslash Identity Talk numeral four educators. So those are the announcements. Now let's get to our main event. So this is a very special episode because pretty much 90% of the people we've had on the show are doing great work within the United States or some part of North America. But now we're taking it out to the UAE. We're taking it out to Dubai. And we have an international educator, visionary, uh, somebody with a wealth of experience in this education game. And he's going to provide us with some of that game uh, this afternoon. But real quick, this man is an educator. He's been a professor. He's been a principal at many schools. And now he is the founder of EdGuru, which is an online platform which is revolutionizing the way that we do teach education, not just within the US, but beyond that internationally. So without further ado, let's bring in the founder of EdGuru, Dr. Roy Pope, to the podcast. How you doing, sir? Hey, wonderful, good brother. How are you doing? Now I'm doing good. I'm just excited to finally have this conversation. Yes, I've been looking forward to it as well. Yes, sir. So um, let's get right in. So the first question that I like to ask my guest is a pretty simple one. Tell us a little bit about yourself and what brought you into the education field. Um. Well, uh, what brought me a little bit about myself, my background, um, um, besides the name and the title uh, behind all of that, um, I'm just a humble educator. I have about a little over 27 years in education. I've worked as a teacher and admin on all levels. And um, in, in my teaching profession, uh, I was a math and science teacher. So that gives you just a little snippet of my past experiences. Um, I've been um, categorized as a, a turnaround specialist. Um, I, I love systems, so I love to be able to go in and to put systems in place and just help people out and make situations a lot better, uh, be it schools or school districts or just working with individuals. Um, what brought me into this field, um, in the field of education? Um, it was just a love for the children. Um, my background, again, was uh, biology um, with a concentration in marine science. And uh, my goal oh, uh, many, many moons ago was to become a marine biologist. Um, but while I was in school, uh, I did some substitute teaching. And it was at a high school um, in a, uh, a low-income area. And 
I fell in love with the children there. I just connected with them and I could I, I could see that they were really hungry for what you wanted to give them knowledge wise. Um, and uh, that year um, I went back the next year, uh, met with the principal and said, could I sub there again on a more permanent basis? Uh, because I really, really felt a strong connection uh, with, with children. And um, that's what led to me just staying in the field of education. Wow. And it's so amazing how people respond to that question, you know, when I ask them that, because more times than not, people don't just start thinking about becoming educators when they first start thinking about careers. It's always something that happens either by accident or just out of, you know, certain circumstances. So I'm always interested in hearing these stories, man, marine biologist to now Ed Guru founder, but we're going to get into Ed Guru, Guru a little bit right. later, but I know you are, you know, you are from Florida. So you down South in the sun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, well, <laughs> so tell us. Yeah, go ahead. Well, originally, um, you know, um, me and my wife, we're from Mississippi originally. Um, that's where okay. our, our roots are from. Um, but when we designed and when we started building our company, um, we wanted to build a completely remote company, totally virtual, no office building, everybody around the world. So um, our address is in Florida for the company, but um, you know, we're like I said, our parents and family, they're primarily Mississippi, but we have um, contractors, employees that are in Brazil, Canada, India, uh, all over the place. Um, so, yes. So, yeah, we're, we're from Mississippi. So but um, we we uh, hey, we, we just love people. We love talking and uh, we, we, we have a passion for just helping folks. Yes. And. You've mentioned your wife already a few times, and I'll be remiss if we didn't talk about your wife, Caressa, who also plays a huge role in just this Ed Gruel Foundation. So if you could just share a little bit about life and, and just the role that she plays in this, because I see her on social media. She's putting in just as much work um, in elevating you know, Ed Gruel. So I want to give you an opportunity to just talk about uh your wife, Carissa, and, and just the role she plays. Uh, yes, and letting you know a little bit about her background. Um, my my uh, forte and what I fell in love with were middle schools, uh, students in that level for the most part. So that's where I spent the majority of my years. Um, with my wife, uh, Dr. Carissa, uh, she, uh, she had a love for um, alternative school settings and she actually created uh, one of the uh, the premier uh, alternative school model within Mississippi. Um, she had individuals uh, from other schools that were coming to see what systems she put in place. So I was just sitting back in amazement, looking at her and what she's doing and what she was doing in that role. Um, her role with Ed Guru is that she's CEO slash special projects coordinator slash uh, social media uh, posting. Uh, she kind of gets in there um, uh, and just it helps out, but it's good that we're able to. We we love what we're doing because it deals with education, and we're able to bounce ideas off of each other. Um, my background being math, science, um, school wide, uh, district wide systems. Her background English, grammar, alternative school settings. I can sit and listen her, listen to her talk about um, theories and the sound practices behind. Uh, rules of grammar and writing, and and I'm sitting there in amazement listening to her talk about that. So so it's it's an interesting uh, fun mix that we have. Right, and and I can see how you all work so well together because when you think about you know your experience as a turnaround uh, principal or specialist, you know people here to turn around. We're always thinking it's a reclamation project. Okay, this is a school that is is failing, and we're trying to do everything that we can to get it back up to where it needs to be in terms of its standards. And then we think about alternative school settings, and the term alternative can be misconstrued because some people automatically think, oh, alternative, as in, oh, we have some kids who have discipline issues, and they're putting this alternative setting to get themselves together. 
Uh, but there's so much more within that definition. It's it's a more expansive definition than than just yes. that. It doesn't always even mean that, you know, if you know what I'm saying. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. We don't want to uh, label children being in an alternative school setting as, as having discipline problems uh, whatsoever. The, for example, within my uh, wife's school, uh, school that she was the principal of, she created um, an accelerated program so that children could come in and they could earn extra credits to catch up. They might have had some situations, some learning difficulties, um, you know, uh, where they weren't able to um, maintain or uh, keep the regular pace or, or the pace with the other students. So uh, so she put like those kind of systems in place, um, looking at her putting social needs systems in place to provide additional assistance for not only the students, but for the parents. And see, that's another love of mine, too, because as a school leader, you have to look at um, your child. You have to look at the parent. You have to look at whatever you can do to make the situations better for everybody that's involved, because um, in the center of this circle, you have the student, but around that student, you have the administrator, the teachers, the parents. You have to make sure that everybody, everybody's needs are being met and that they have adequate support. And, and that way, that'll trickle down to the child being successful, uh, achieving whatever goals that, that you set for them. No, I'm absolutely uh, so true. And, and this is the amazing part. I mean, between you and your wife and all of your experience in the education field and all the success you had, many people would just say, you know what, we're just going to pack it up and just retire and, and call it a career and just ride out into the sunset. But you all decided, you know what, we want to live abroad and continue this great work. So I want to know from you. And your wife may have a different version of this story, but what led you and your wife to, you know, leave the country and live abroad to continue your careers in education? Um, because that's not something that's common for for us black folk. So to actually see that it's it's empowering and inspiring, you know, especially for me. So, yeah, talk to us a little bit about that. Um, well, first, I want to share with you a psychological theory. It talks about the law of conformity. The law of conformity says that we as human beings want to fit in. Um, so we might uh, subliminally go with the crowd and go with the group. Um, when you look at me and my wife, we're kind of uh, independent thinkers. Um, we are uh, nonconformist. And we wanted to look at how we could expand our horizons, how we could challenge ourselves, learn additional things, and just have a, have a, a broad experience. Um, there's so much out there, um, and, you know, and I want to encourage anybody that's listening to this podcast, um, you don't have to necessarily travel even outside of the country, but just get some exposure outside of your state. Look at other systems that are going on, because all those interactions will help you grow as a person, um, good, bad, and in between. Um, you're going to be taking some things in and they're going to help mold you um, as a person um, along this uh, journey of life. So we um, um, we decided we didn't want to go the traditional route uh, where I would pursue superintendent positions and um, and, and, and she would pursue uh, district level positions and, and those things. So we said we wanted to do something different. So we talked about it. And we started looking around, just looking at different countries and doing some research on our own. And um, we decided, um, let's move to uh, the United Arab Emirates, move to Dubai. Um, once we moved to Dubai, the only experience that I wanted to have um, in life that I thought I wanted to have um, was to uh, work at a 1 through 12 school. And because I, I feel comfortable with my understanding of instruction, and I wanted to um, be able to lay hands on that child, put systems in place, support the teachers, make it a fun environment, do all those things that you that you would love to do if you were able to control your complete environment. You know, you had that. So that was a dream come true for me, uh, which I was placed at grades one through 12 boys school. Um, 
when I went there, um, again, fell in love with the children. They fell in love with me. Um, um, children are children, no matter where you look at in the world. They're, they're just, they're wonderful people. They're wonderful, wonderful uh, individuals uh, that are full of energy, that don't mind sharing with you what they think and their thoughts. Um, so I went there, I was placed there. And um, after a few, few years, um, we were able to really have some successes there at the school academically, where um, not only in English reading and writing, but in Arabic reading and writing, math, science, chemistry, our scores across the board, grades one through 12, were rated in the um, top, uh, top 10 out of our group of cluster of schools of 43. So I was really happy to see that um, taking place. So that's that's our story. What kind of brought us here? Um, um, my wife was placed at an um, she worked at elementary school, and again we just started this cycle again of just having those experiences, having those conversations, um, just working with a multinational faculty and staff. Um, on my staff, I I, I have people from. Uh, Canada, Texas to Texas, to um, Ireland, to uh, New Zealand. So it, you're, you're, you interact with a lot of different people and a lot of different students. So it's a wonderful, it was a wonderful experience. Wow. And I think that's one of the beauties of being in an international school, which leads me to this question, because for a lot of people in the United States, they don't know what it's like to be in an international school. And unless you've lived abroad like you and I have, you won't really know the difference in terms of the dynamics. So you just mentioned that you have people on your staff from all different parts of the world, New Zealand, uh, people from Ireland, uh, people probably from UAE or Dubai, you know, where you are. So how are you able to get those different staff members together who are probably coming in with different types of ideologies and, and philosophies in terms of instruction, in terms of pedagogy. How do you concoct this solution that allows you to have synergy and success as a staff? And then as you're um, talking about that, could you also uh, identify some of the differences and maybe even some similarities between international schools and K-12 schools here within the U.S.? Okay, sure. I, I I love to share those those awesome good questions. Um, when you look at the difference in the children, uh, the children are the same. Um, um, when I first got here, I always tell a funny story where um, I was telling uh, I, I was instructing a child to uh, walk a little bit faster, go to class, um, and uh, I was speaking in English, and the child was uh, uh, being a little. A little, um, a little mischievous and joking, saying he didn't understand what I was saying. So that kind of challenged me to learn Arabic. So now I feel comfortable um, that I can speak Arabic within an educational setting and generally understand what's going on. Um, but when you have, uh, when you look at the similarity, similarities, children are children, no matter where you're at in the world, whether it's here in the U.S. or in Finland, they're all the same. Um, they, they, they're all um, um, hungry for learning. Um, they all want to have good systems and um, teachers and administrators that care about them um, to be a part of that. And they're gonna care about you and share those things with you. And they love to share and talk. So um, those, uh, that, that, the children here and there and everywhere are really, really similar. Now, when you look at um, something that's, uh, how you ask the question, how did we remove the barriers to kind of bring everybody together to make one plan? Um, when, you have, when you have teachers from uh, Ireland and from New Zealand, from Tunisia, from Egypt, um, I love it, first of all, because I love to hear them talk about their cultures and about their home countries and share. So that's always a wonderful thing for me. Um, but what I do is I bring them all together and I, I let them know that Yes, we're individuals culturally coming from different places, but that's what makes us extremely strong because I'm the type of person that, whether it's in a school or within our company, I like to listen to everybody around me 
share your ideas, become comfortable sharing with me and putting it on the table. And then we're going to move forward with the best group of ideas because that's what the plan is going to be built around. It won't, it shouldn't necessarily be built or created around one person. So once you create that door of opportunity and opening, opening your door and saying, you can share, you can come in, we can talk, then people are really willing to just kind of put everything together and to put all of that, uh, share their ideas and, and go from there. But another funny story is, you know, when you're in a multinational um, school setting, um, I, could, I could go in one direction and I'm observing one teacher um, and he's, he's speaking German. So I'm learning German here. Another teacher likes to speak Spanish. So I'm learning Spanish. Another teacher, um, they want to speak Arabic. So I'm going back and forth. And see, that's challenging me uh, linguistically because it's, it's really uh, uh, um, guiding me, assisting me to have to pick up nuggets of different pieces of language. So that's one fun thing that I always love about it, too, along with the learning process. Um, now, um, difference-wise, I'm trying to think. Um, I don't see any um, major differences other than the multinational setting um, that because, you know, they don't necessarily, you know, wherever you're at in any, whatever part of the world you're in, um, in a multinational setting, they're gonna um, kind of draw to you. They people love culture. They just love sharing the culture. They love hearing about. Um, they love hearing uh, us talk about our culture and in the U.S. and and what we're doing. And like I said, barbecuing and and versus uh, what they consider possibly barbecuing. So it's just a. And, but when you think about it, or just imagine this for a minute, having a multinational uh, faculty and staff there. What would culture day, you know, you always think about culture day. Those, right. what, what would that look like in a multinational setting? I can tell you, I enjoyed it. We had dancers coming in that were from Nepal that did dances. We had uh, people coming in that represented Ghana that were exposing the culture. So we had people coming in that were representing our Irish music and dance. So it was we had the we had the uh, United Arab Emirates, uh, one of their uh, national bands, they came. So to have all of that there is just uh, it was a true blessing and it's a joy and we love it. Yes. And, and that's one of the beauties of being in an international school, you know, abroad. Yeah. But one thing that I do know about international schools, just in general, regardless of where you are, is there is high turnover when it comes to teachers and staff because it's more it's a more transient culture you know you yes. have teachers yes. there for two to three years and then they they're going to their next post which then leads to bringing new people in so as a school leader i would i would assume that more of the onus is on making sure that you have a strong enough school culture to where Regardless of who is on the staff, regardless of what the composition of your staff is, the culture is what remains constant year yes. after year, as opposed yes. to relying on the the staff members or the teachers to be the ones who control the culture, if that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you have to, you, you know, you, you have to, as a leader, you have to go back to those, your roots of creating the ideal school culture. So what does the ideal school culture look like within a multinational setting? And you're absolutely correct when you say um, that the transient uh, uh, turnover rate um, could possibly is possibly higher. Um, one thing though, and that's due to, because when you look at, let's say some countries, um, their teachers are able to come and teach in another country for a certain number of years but then they have to return back to their home country because um, if not within a certain time frame, then their license, they have to do some additional work to get their license updated. So that's one of the reasons, for example, that we have a transient, you might have a transient um, turnaround. But when you look at our school, um, we, I, I've, uh, I was there for seven, going on eight years, about eight years. I can say that, 
we had maybe um, maybe about a 10%, I want to say, maybe overall 10% turnover rate from the first year to now. Majority of the, the teachers that are there have been there with me since the beginning. So they kind of already know. So when I'm talking about the writing process, okay, Dr. Roy, we know about the four square writing process. You want it this way, it makes sense like this. So they, they kind of cut you off because they've been around you so long. They, they kind of, they can joke with you. They know already when you're just, um, um, uh, just scratching your head saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe I made that decision. You know, I made that bad choice. Uh, so that's the good thing. But yeah, it does go back to just having a culture in place. And then the culture is tied into the systems. And then one of one of the parts, one part of the systems, uh, one part of a system, an effective system, is again highlighting the differences in the cultures, uh, letting them, putting them on stage, and letting them share. And one way we did it was through the culture fair. Um, but there are other things that can be done when you have um, faculty dinners uh, and luncheons at school. You have different restaurants that you can easily order from. You have uh, some that cook fruits, foods from this particular country, some from this country, some from this. So you can easily bring that in, too. So, yeah, um, that all ties into the systems, which ties into the culture. No, and I thank you for sharing that. Um, and it's great. Ten percent over the course of, you said, seven, eight years you've been at this school. Yes. That is very impressive for an international school because that's not at every school. And I, I want to point that out to people who are watching who aren't familiar with the international school culture. It's usually a lot higher right. than that. So for people to come back every year to want to work at the school, it just shows how committed it is. But also is a testament to your leadership and, and how you're able to keep the culture consistent every year to where there's success happening. But I know you did mention something about teachers having to go back to their home countries to get professional development. And mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure that's one of the main reasons why uh, you and your wife founded EdGuru, which I wanna talk about right now. So, okay. so let's talk about EdGuru. First off, what was the inspiration behind starting this company and what's the overarching mission of the company? Well, the inspiration behind starting the company was as we were going in and we were making, um, assisting in making educational settings a lot better. Um, once we would leave, we would see that there might be a gradual decline. Um, where the rubber meets the road, the connection to student achievement is the level, level of teaching quality, the quality of the teacher. Uh, the higher the quality of the teacher, the higher the academic results. Now, that teacher could come with those skills already and they don't need any assistance from uh, the administrators or they can, on the flip side, uh, the other side of coin, they can get that, uh, require some assistance from the administrators to get to that level. So um, the, our inspiration was we know instruction. We know instruction really, really well. Um, when I used to do presentations to whole groups of principals, uh, and it was like uh, schools that were school improvement. Um, one fact I always started out with was that um, only 10% of principals nationally, uh, and this is within the U.S. boundaries, 10% boundaries, of principals uh, are, are able to get in there and really cause that, that change and, and really um, um, cause systemic change. So. One, why we started the company is because we wanted to create a platform and help the 90% of the administrators. Um, those administrators that are hungry for knowledge and that are okay with saying, hey, I don't know, or I'm willing to learn, then we wanted to create a platform with valuable resources so they could come on board and they could interact and they could learn some things. And these are resources that are research-based, you won't find them out on the internet openly. Um, they're theory-based and they're vetted by, um, be, before any resource is loaded on a platform, it has to be, um, it has to add value to me and to my wife. So you're looking at somebody with 27 years of experience and uh, my wife with 26 years of experience. If it doesn't add value, we don't add it to the platform. Uh, so we start 
the assembly process at the beginning, and we generate the titles. We have theories that are embedded within it to increase the likelihood of learning. And then it goes all the way to the end where it's loaded on a platform, uh, articles and videos. Now, another reason that we created this um, company, uh, Kwame, was because I'm a big Marzano fan, or I am still, uh, Classroom Instruction at Works. But when you look at it, and the reason I like Classroom Instruction at Works because that was the first educational book that took learning, that took teaching strategies and converted them into mathematical games to show the probability of children learning material tied to a teaching strategy. That was powerful to me. So I built school systems and systems for districts around those mechanisms. But then as I went a little bit further in my learning, um, it's kind of like the game where you, everybody's in a circle and you tell somebody a, a, a secret in their ear and as it goes all the way around, by the time it comes back, it'll be changed a little bit. Well, yep, that's yep. kind of what, yep, that's kind of what happened with, um, with um, classroom instruction at works. Marzano said it was 21 times. That's actually incorrect. The average number of times that it takes for a person to, for a person to change the habit is 66 times. Then take that, and, and that's based off uh, Marzano, Zig Ziglar, Tony Morrison. Those are all based off of uh, a 1950 study by Dr. Maltz, M-A-L-T-Z. So he, somewhere between that and transferring over to, let's say, classroom instruction that works, it went from 66 to 21. Now, the average school does not have that um, size budget for to pay consultants to come in and interact with um, each person in the building 66 times. When you're looking at consultants charging anywhere between 750 to maybe $3,000 for one day, that's where EdGuru comes in again, because we want to make sure that we have a platform that's well below cost and that can be fit within budget, but then also because we're experienced teachers and administrators, we created a system and we took into consideration all of the headaches, for example, that principals might have when trying to implement technology in a building. If you want a plan, we already have a plan, a three-step plan on how to implement it. If, you, um, if you're worried about service space, no worries. The resources and everything is loaded on our service, including the users. So you never have to worry about anything like that. So we've tried to take a lot of the the, the the headaches off of the individual and and put them on the company and try to find and solve solutions because what we want to do is we want to cause global systemic change we built this platform not only to be in english we built it to be converted into spanish to be converted into arabic because we are going to create and we're in the process of creating a multi national platform for people of different languages to come to if you want to download an article that Kwame uh, created in English, well, guess what? It's on our platform and it'll be in English, Arabic, Spanish, French, and German. So we have systems and mechanisms in place to do that. And we're gonna, we wanna cause global systemic change. Uh, and that's, that's the beauty of it. And you're mentioning the fact that, I know here in the US, I'm not sure how it is out in the international space, but you have a lot of consultants, out of district consultants who come in and they do these one and done workshops, which make you feel good in the moment. But but then when they leave, you still haven't built the capacity you need to to do that skill that they taught you. So I'm glad. And you were mentioning this idea of having to repeat a habit 66 times in yes. order to really master it. Well, I just think about, at least in my experience, how we're kind of confined to scopes of sequences where they tell us, okay, you have to get through this standard by, you know, in these three days or five days, or we have to get, we have to squeeze all this content in before we do this interim assessment that's going to determine the growth of our students. So when you're under that kind of pressure, Where's the room for me as a facilitator or just a facilitator in general to build right. the agency and to build the capacity necessary to be an even more effective practitioner? So I, I think that's why I love about EGRU. And I know you started to touch on the different languages that you can translate different articles into. But I really want you to 
talk more about the different features because I know I've been on Edguru and there's a lot of different things that's not that aren't provided in other um, educator educator provider websites. So I really want you to to touch on those so that our listeners can really get a vivid picture of what it is that Edguru offers. Okay, so and yeah, we did throw a lot of bells and whistles in there because we wanted to add value to our to our clients and audience. And I can say it's it's been a, a very rewarding process. Um, talking about the design and leading into answering your question, um, we took about we took a couple of years to actually design these systems to make sure that they were sound, make sure that they made sense to us, and that it was very practical. Um, our resources don't take up a lot of time. You don't have to spend, um, you might spend um, no more than 15 minutes uh, reading one of our articles, but I guarantee you it's going to be very powerful. Um, even the categories that we have on the platform, uh, they were created based off of need and based off of us going through a panel, a couple of panel discussions with uh, experienced educators, new and experienced educators on what they wanted to see. So what are some of what are the products of the Ed Group platform? Under the umbrella, we have OPD, online professional development for schools as a whole. So uh, schools can, um, they can uh, use school improvement money. They can use Title I money, I think Title II, Title IV to, um, within the U.S. boundaries, they can uh, purchase um, whole group, whole school subscriptions. Um, as an administrator, the administrator has the capability to assign different resources to everybody in the building, or you can have one grade working on this topic, one grade working on that topic. When a teacher comes onto the platform within a group, there's a, we have a model, um, so it's just not the resources. We have a, it's a pre-assessment that the teachers can take. They rate themselves on where they feel they have strengths and areas of uh, weakness. Then the administrators can, uh, whenever they see that resources are loaded on the platform within those categories, then they can send the teachers an email reminder through our platform that, hey, um, this category, this resource, this category has been loaded to the platform. Now, um, we also have a peer-to-peer -peer observation piece. We have a post-observation piece. We have a um, note-taking debriefing piece that's a part of a model. Because we wanted to, we wanted to look at the full journey of teaching from beginning to end on um, what what should be entailed in making a sound system again. And I love saying that word, a sound system uh, for for improving instruction and for other teachers seeing uh, other teachers exhibiting good instructional strategies and behaviors. Um, the second product is we have OPD for individuals. So if schools don't necessarily want to purchase the platform, then individual teachers can. Um, and our, our website is very user friendly. If you go to the main website um, at um, www.edguru.co, then you will see the pricing tab, the benefits, what you'll get, all of those things right there, and then how the journey works. On top of that, we have life strategists. We have experienced strategists that are experienced in business and that are experienced in life and that are um, academic. Uh, they have the strong academic experience as well. So they're there to work with you where you can book a session with them one on one and um, and they can take you on a journey of self-awareness, um, actually putting goals in place, having an action plan and um, what you can do from there. Um, the other piece we have is uh, book publishing because we have I've, we've had such a wonderful journey and being exposed to so many different people. Um, these opportunities, um, I just we felt that it would be really beneficial to the to the teachers, to the administrators, to the educational sector in general. So we just started adding additional things to the field. So we have book publishing. Um, exactly. So even when you go to the when you go to the website. You, you'll see right there uh, benefits coming in and out of the team, out of, in and out of the uh, screen. Um, on that first tab that you're on, um, yep. on professional development, the, the bottom four, you can receive additional information, learn more, the best practices with our three-step plan, three-phase plan, um, additional resources. And then for those schools that need research, 
We even have a research study that talks about the effectiveness of online professional development and that it is effective. Um, that next tab actually shows um, the personal services. It has the um, public speaking piece, but then the top one is the personal strategist and where you can go in and you can book sessions with the strategist. And we have a wide array of skills. We have people from the UK. Uh, we have a gentleman from uh, California. He's very impressive. At 22, at uh, 22, he bought, bought his first house and he is now uh, working on creating an asset management company at 27. Oh, wow. So wow. we're we're gonna, we're going to be adding him and some additional folks to that to that page. Um, we have book publishing. If you if you have the idea, then we have people that can help you put your book together from the illustration to the cover design to uh, getting it translated in additional languages. We have agreements with vetted publishing companies globally to get your books out there. So that's another piece. And what and our whole focus is having resources that are in different languages. And next year. Um, the plan is to actually launch our teacher marketplace where we'll allow educators to post resources in English and we'll have a system to get them translated in additional languages. And then they'll be posted on our platform and we'll be marketing them globally. Wow. Man, people, you can't get any better than this. You cannot get any better than this. Um, it's just so much. Let me say, we did this while being principals of our school because we would work on this from three in the morning till Come six on. thirty. Then we would wow. go do our day job, uh, principals, and work at our schools. Then we would come back and we would work from five to eight or nine at night. Uh, and while doing this, we actually wrote three books that we haven't released yet. Um, for me, it's a forty thousand word book on. Uh, sound instructional strategies, and it's tied into my life, uh, my life uh, experiences, um, and it gives you theory, how to implement systems, some of the mistakes you might make, how to correct them. And my wife, she wrote two fiction books that are both tied into um, helping students learn. So we're going to release those uh, next year. So we want to encourage everybody: look, follow the Ed Guru train. You know, connect with us on our blog, subscribe to our blog, uh, Ed Guru Edge, uh, subscribe to our newsletter at our website. Right. And people, we just saw the website, which is very impressive. And like I said, I had a chance to interact with it and read a few articles, do a few quizzes. Um, it's just very impressive. And it's not just for, okay, US based teachers, it's for anybody internationally, whether you're in Africa, whether you're in Europe, uh, whether you're in South America, wherever you are in the world, this is going to add value to your careers as educators. So so please make sure you you all interact with EdGuru and all the different um, resources. But I want to stay on EdGuru for a second because over the past few um, interviews I've done for the podcast, we've been talking about this idea of remixing teacher education how do we change that paradigm from how it's been traditionally to what it is now so we have people who are you know doing podcasts you know like myself and many others you have people who are doing more virtual programming you know like ed guru and and so many other um companies and corporations so i want to know from you what do you believe are the gaps in teacher education that still exist today? And you've already talked about how Edgro tries to help fill those gaps, but right. I wanted to know from you, what, what are those gaps that you see still, even well, with all the stuff Edgro's doing? Well, there are three broad gaps that, that we see. Um, the first gap is um, when you look at teacher education programs, and what they're doing with teachers and inter and the courses, you know, is it of relevance? No, you know, you, you, and is it practical? Um, so, you know, that teachers coming into this teacher education program and the they're giving them all these tools, but then when they go out into the field, when they go into a school, 
are they able to use those, truly use those skills with, with different demographic of student, different, dem, different demographics of students? Um, or do they have to just put those to the side and start over again and then tie and link up with a veteran teacher? Uh, so we see a gap there between the, the teacher education program and then what they're generally equipping teachers with, in our opinion. The second gap we see is um, in principal preparation programs. Are those skills that they're being equipped with, are they relevant and are they practical um, to be able to be applied to different types of demographics? Um, as an administrator, I, even when I went in, um, and even as a teacher, when I went in, I had to, again, take a lot of things and put them to the side, and I had to kind of start over again in, um, um, in, in my learning um, and linking up with uh, more experienced, seasoned educators, um, people that are along the same experience uh, time frame as me as well, and then just kind of try to get a lot of information. So those are two, two areas that we really see. And then the third area is just budgets. Um, schools have in districts they can only do so much um so you this you know the stewards that are over the money have to um make sure that they're spending the money wisely and i want to encourage everybody don't don't buy any and every program that's out there you know pl plenty of people can push things um you might feel that way about ed grew if so i humbly accept it no worries but i tell you this um we we vetted and we've designed and we took a lot of time to build a house real right. You won't find a house better than ours. Uh, that, that's for sure. <laughs> loving the confidence. I'm loving the confidence. Um, but I did want to ask you about the second point you made about principal leadership programs. Now, okay. I don't know if you're seeing the same thing that I'm seeing, uh, but I'm noticing that principals are getting younger and younger uh, these days. Um, I know when I was in school and even early in my career, most of the principals that I had that I was work that I worked under, you know, they were, you know, in their late 30s, 40s, and up. And they had accumulated years of classroom experience. So those were their receipts. You know, that was their credibility that led them into that position. But now you have principals who are in the mid twenties, they already lead in the school, which is great. But then at the same time, you have to wonder. Just as a school leader, as someone who's who's been a principal in many schools, do you believe that it is a prerequisite for a principal or even a school leader, or administrator, to have instructional experience in the classroom prior to taking on that kind of role? I would I would like to say yes. I wish that was the case. But then let's go back to that research stat that I threw out there earlier about the ten percent. So you have ten percent that people that that know. Um, so you can I'm pretty sure if you dig deep into that ten percent, you're gonna it's gonna whittle down a little bit more. But think about it: the ten percent is being fed things that they possibly don't need. Um, so they're going coming in with with false with perceptions that are totally skewed and wrong. See, as a, as a, as a school leader, I would always go to, I would go to certain people um, and I would just say, look, I need you to give me some advice. I need you to give me some input. And if you don't, I'm going to pick, I'm going to pick an idea and I'm going to say, you said it. So if it turns out good, bad, ugly in between, it's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, but, 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 but that comes too with a level of comfort. Um, I'm, I'm comfortable in who I am and in interacting with people. And I'm comfortable with saying, I don't know, to me, PhD, I used to tell people this jokingly, uh, PhD to me, even I have one, it means please help the doctor. Okay. So I, I need as much help as possible. And, you know, uh, I always say jokingly, it, is on, it deals with relationships, too. But when I used to make ideas and tell you this funny story for a second, um, if it went left a little bit and didn't go the way it's, that it was planned to go, uh, I, I would just look at them and say, well, I told you, you should have helped me. You didn't want to help me. This is what happened. So you'll help me next time. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, that, that's, that's awesome. 
Yeah, but but uh, but I don't necessarily look at age as somebody being effective because when you look at um, a teacher age, teacher uh, age uh, level, you know, I've seen um, young teachers first year in that are just blazing. They are just I'm just there in amazement. Like what? Yep. Wow. And I get so involved that I forget to take notes. I'm just, I become a part of the show. You know, I enjoyed it so much. But then, um, so age doesn't necessarily, in my opinion, connect to it, but your personality, you being able, you being willing to be fed knowledge by other people around you. Um, you know, and I want to encourage teachers out there and men out there, feel comfortable with who you are and connect with other people that you see that are, um, that are really doing some things and and just just ask them for some advice and share with them what you're going to be doing your plan for the school or your nest your lesson for next week and just say hey what do you think about this oh that's what we need to do we we have to humble ourselves and just say you know what i still have more to fill up in my tank um and that's the nature of being an educator they always say that we're lifelong learners right we're yep, always exactly. capacity. Always doesn't matter how exactly. many years the game. There's always something you can work on, especially now during this pandemic, where a lot of veteran teachers are feeling like first year teachers, and and they've gotten humbled by this pandemic. But I think it's also important to recognize that they already have a lot in the tank that they can use to yep. to be successful in the midst of this pandemic as well. So it's important for us to build that self-efficacy. Um, yep, exactly. exactly. Yes. And I want to point out two things too, Kwame. When you talk about scope and sequence, I want to go back to that for a minute. Yes, please. And, and, and tie that into the 66 times. Um, yes. What I always tell uh, teachers is this. Yeah, you have a scope and sequence that you have to keep up with and that you have to cover from beginning to end. But... Um, if you study the assessment system for the state that you're in or for the district, look at how things are weighted kind of one way or the other, um, then see how you can connect some objectives to others as you're moving along that, that journey of teaching a child. So don't look at objectives. When you tie objectives in together, that kind of helps a little bit out with scope and sequence to find a little bit of balance. It's not going to be perfect by no means, but Let's say when you're looking at an objective and you're teaching a, a new objective to the child, your anticipatory set activity might be um, connected to something that you know they're going to be, um, uh, they're traditionally weak on. So you can continually hit them with that. Or you might have a closure activity that might be tied to a uh, skill from the uh, next tr uh, trimester. So kind of you have to look at your, 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 your pieces, your chess pieces on the on the board and how you can kind of move them around and make that work. Um, but when you, and going back to, yeah, the teachers do have a lot on their plate, and especially with this pandemic. I want to, um, one of the design features that we did with Ed Guru is we actually created an online teaching strategy category section where, um, and why did we do it? First of all, because uh, our clients were asking for it. So they asked for it, so we designed it and we put it in place. Um, but when you become a member of EdGuru, you'll actually have access to those resources where you can look at um, online uh, resources, suggestions, assessments, um, um, the, just general teaching strategies and how to teach in a virtual setting. How do you manage a classroom within a virtual setting? Um, because I think with this pandemic and where it's at now, um, we're in this current state for sure, but even when it ends, I think that's caused a lot of people to kind of open their eyes to the possibility of virtual learning and um, what could be offered. So, yeah, we're looking, we're really excited about um, the journey that we're taking with Edguru and um, just with interacting with good people like yourself. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's going to be the key because I feel like there are so many novice teachers, so many people who come out of these teacher education programs who believe that there is this one way to do this work. 
And the reality is there is not just one way. There are many ways in which you can approach this work. But I feel like for so long, we've been conditioned to believe that we have to tie ourselves to to this theory or or this practice. Exactly. And I think it, and I think in essence, it it really confines our creativity mm-hmm. to really build our craft because teaching is an art form. It's an art form. Yep. And people do it in different ways, but we still yield the same results at the end of the day. And that's student success and excellence. That's what it's about. That's powerful. And that's so true. Teaching is as an art form. And you don't want to confine anybody. Um, you want people to kind of express themselves just like children. You want them to express um, the way that they learn. And yeah, they might stumble along the way, but let them go. With teaching, it's the same way. Let the teachers um express themselves and try different strategies and 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 go with it uh, because there are enough constraints out there you want to keep um you want to keep uh as many uh, hindrances from holding teachers back and then that even applies to administrators um feel administrators in particular and teachers teachers feel comfortable making mistakes in front of your students administrators feel comfortable making mistakes in front of the teachers and the students and the and the parents. It's well, okay. Now talk about, it. Talk okay. about <laughs> it. Yeah. So, hey, you learn from your failures. If you don't have any failures, um, you're not really, you're not really digging deep and learning the way that you should. So I just want to share that with you. That's the thing. Teaching in general is an imperfect art. Yes. It's imperfect. It's imperfectly perfect <laughs> because it's going to make you make mistakes. But the challenge is how you respond to those mistakes. Yep, exactly. And what just going to make to your practice. But we can talk about this all day. <laughs> but wow, Dr. Roy, um, man, we've been talking for almost an hour, which is awesome. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> no. Good. No, this is good because I always tell folks, all right, we're, we're going to do 30 or 45 minutes. But when right. the conversation is that good and information is that valuable, we got to keep the flow of information going. We got to keep right, well, it going. Well, I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed you. Um, and um, I just want to encourage again, everybody to uh, you can Google Ed Guru. You'll see edguru.co there. Um, or you can just follow us on the blog, Ed Guru Edge. Three articles out there to help. Right. And and we'll be sure to share that social media information, you know, in the different outlets. But uh, before you go, we're going to do a quick lightning round. Okay. Quick one. Um, so that people can get to know you a little bit more. Okay. So first thing I want, I want to say is this. You and Dr. Carissa are doing a lot. Okay. I don't know how y'all get sleep between... <laughs> Managing your school, working with the staff and the students, and then trying to build Ed Guru. So I want to know from you, as a couple, what's your favorite self-care activity? What do you all do outside of this education space to keep yourself sane? Uh, we work out. Uh, we do. We 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 uh, we we are avid uh, workout type people. Um, so we hit it and, and we spend our time uh, with this treadmill, elliptical weights, uh, doing those kind of things. Uh, so that helps us out with self-care. And then, um, you know, we just kind of take sometimes you just we just unplug and uh, we take time to just, um, you know, have a half date night or date day uh, and, and, and do something that's totally not connected to it. Nah, that's awesome. And how many years have you all been married? If you don't mind me uh, asking. Oh, eight years. Awesome. Hey, that's that's what that's what it's about. Got to keep the the fire going. All right, you're in the UAE. Okay. What is the best thing to do in the UAE as far as activities go? If someone were to come to Dubai or the UAE area, what should they definitely do that you think is the best thing? Um, 
Well, I could give you a list of suggestions for sure. Um, number one, though, would be brunches. Uh, there are going to be brunches uh, galore all over the place to go to. Uh, so you want to, you know, you can easily take take part of that. Uh, the second thing is um, their beaches. Um, and I want to say beaches. Um, you think in UAE, you think in desert. No, I'm talking about beaches, the water, the 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 staycations, the you know the whole nine yards. You know, uh, the water sports. You know, it's it's a blast. So that's the second thing. And because uh, we have a love for music, you know, we're from Mississippi, so we have a strong love for for uh, some blues or something like, or just live music. Period. So you'll easily find some live music shows here uh, somewhere. We were, we, we still jokingly talk, we were so close to going to an Arrested Development concert. Um, uh, but then that's when this, I know, I know, then this pandemic happened and then they had to shut that down. Uh, they didn't come and everything, but uh, yeah, you know, um, but you know, you have music concerts galore everywhere. You know, Lionel Richie was here. Uh, you have all kinds of people coming through. Um, so those three things will kind of keep you busy. And then you can go from there. Oh, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Man, rest of development, Lionel Richie. But yeah, you know, I would pay <laughs> to go to see them for sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> Every hey. day. All right. All right. Yeah. All right now. <laughs> Yes, I, I, love, I love it. I love it. Hey, but we gotta get you, we gotta get you here too, though, because we have a, there's this uh, South African band that we love. They they go they and mm-hmm. they play so great, so live. Uh, they play with Lionel Richie, as a matter of fact, too. Um, when they when they start their concert, you're gonna get up. You're gonna be sweating and just from running around, jumping up and down or whatever. But it's an awesome experience. But hey, we'll talk about that. Don't worry. All right. And I have one more question. If you can invite three influential figures to dinner, dead or alive, who would they be? Three figures. Um, For me, number one would be Martin Luther King, Um, because just listening and reading on his theories of economics, we talk about the the nonviolent protest, we hear about that a lot, but if you really uh, dig deep and look at how he preached about um, uh, the, uh, they call it Kingonomics, that structure. There's some theories that are really that are really awesome to me. The second person that I would want to invite is Colin Powell. One, because he's a military uh, genius. And a lot of those military they um, they can apply to business, they can apply to schools, you know, and just in how you're organizing your life, period. And then the third person that I would want to uh, sit down and talk to is Stacey Abrams. One, because, you know, she's from, uh, you know, she's uh, from our home state. She attended a university in our state, Mississippi. And um, just to see and to interact with her because of her passion and wanting to change and make things better. Um, but those by far are three people that I would, that we would love to sit down and talk to and interact with and, and just have long conversations with if possible. Yes. And much love to Stacey Abrams and just for black women who have been at the forefront of, of this movement, you know, in terms of just politics and, and just get in our new administration in office. So much love to Stacey Abrams, who is up for a Nobel Peace Prize nomination. So that just yes. came out a week ago, which is big, very yes. big. So much love to her. But Dr. Roy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us on the podcast. It's been amazing. And we wish Ed Guru, we wish you, Dr. Carissa, much success uh, moving forward. Thank you so much. Hey, and thank you for having me on this, on your show. Yes, sir. So we will talk again. All right. All right. So there you have it, folks. We're about to end another episode of A Day Talk for Educators Live. And as always, we wish you all a good night, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you're on the world. 
And we're going to do this again another time. Peace out, everybody. <laughs>